Aldi's Mamiya Me series podcast. Today I'm chatting with author, director, actor and writer Stephanie Preisner. You may know Stephanie from her two books, Why Can't Everything Just Stay the Same? And Can I Say No? Or the Orti comedy drama series she created, Can't Cope, Won't Cope. Definitely heard of that. Or maybe you've heard an episode of the show she hosts on the Head Stuff Podcast Network, basically. At home, she's mom to baby Aurora. Hi, Steph. Hi, Amy. I haven't seen you in ages. I know, yeah. It's been a long time. We've both had a life since we've seen each other. Yeah. We, we sometimes leave each other voice notes where I say, Stephanie knows all the chords from yes. Friends. And then you go back to me and said, Stephanie knows all the chords. No, because I heard you say, you said, Stephanie knows all the chords. But you didn't enunciate correctly. And I thought you said, Stephanie knows all the chords. And then I was thinking, I do know all the chords. I know Sharon, mm. Andrea, mm-hmm. Jim. And then I didn't know the next one. And then you told me it was Caroline. Caroline the drummer. She's no one has ever heard beautiful. of Caroline Core. Oh, I have. Well, I haven't. Well, then that's on you. Like if it had been a 50-50 quiz, I wouldn't have picked Caroline. Yeah, she's just always edgier, stands in the background a bit more on the drums, but just as important. I didn't say she wasn't important. That's I just true. said, I don't think she <laughs> is known enough. Well, now we can say Stephanie knows all the chords. I don't even know if you do. And, and you now know all the chords. <laughs> yes, I do know all the chords. I know the names of them. <laughs> cool, because this podcast is all about the chords. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, Steph, it's so good to see you. Um, and thank you so much for coming on as a guest. So this is all about parenting and our experience with it and our journey through it. And... All of the highs and lows that you have become a mum in the last year. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because I have a living baby now and her name is Rory or Aurora. But I've had a a long journey to get to this point. And I lost my first pregnancy in the second trimester in 2020. And then Mother's Day 2021, I was thinking like, I'm, I'm a mother. And then I got Mother's Day cards this year because... Rory was here and it was like on your first Mother's Day and I was kind of like well it's not really my first Mother's Day but sometimes we measure you know we measure motherhood by how many live babies you have and I understand that that's fair enough too but yeah so I used to listen to podcasts like this and just be so you know it's sort of like you're at the airport and the baggage carousel is going around and everyone's going collecting their bags and walking away and you're like where is my luggage I was like when when am I going to be when am I going to have a baby why is this not happening because I guess in secondary school they make it sound like you just look at a boy and you're going to get pregnant yeah, you know you have to do everything in your will but don't look at them don't or look it at happens. them or it happens and actually it's really difficult it, there's probably about 3 days in the month that you can possibly get pregnant if everything is working okay and uh Yeah, I just was not able, like that, trying to conceive, I just became so obsessed with it because I was like, oh my God, I didn't know any of this stuff. I didn't know about ovulation or the cycles or the hormones involved and, you know, that there was only this kind of short window. So, uh, so yes, sorry to answer your question. Yes, I am a mother um, and it was a long obsessive road to get to it. I definitely understand the thing of not knowing as much anything about fertility stuff mm-hmm. and it's not discussed and I think it's a, it's a funny thing I always think God wh- why is it not discussed would you want to know how hard it is going into it is it better knowing that when you're in it because is it overwhelming if you knew too much on the outside going in I don't think so but I think you and I are different in that mm. I like to know all of the things yeah, and I think you like to know only the things you need to know at that moment because it gets overwhelming otherwise yeah I would probably just go deal with I need to deal with today's, today's thing. thing but I still was surprised at how little I knew yes it's shocking and but after already having had two children yeah, I was like what 
Uh, so that that was a surprise. Like none of this is discussed enough. And I, think I think it's not discussed because what you're like people call it trying to conceive. What you're ultimately talking about is having sex. You know. Yeah. And so. It's, it totally takes the passion out of it, first of all. like it, Sex is now an operational thing. It yeah. is a thing you have to do to get to this stage that you want, which is pregnancy. Um, and it's not discussed, I think, because... Well, I think because historically, patriarchy means that women are kind of kept in the dark about their cycles. Like, it wasn't until very recently that on adverts for period products that they actually use red liquid. Yeah, like I know. It was blue it was liquid. Blue. Well, your yeah. periods were blue until yeah. five years blue ago. Blue water. And then they, cha- and then yeah. they changed it. <laughs> now it's blood. Um, or it's at least Ribena or something. But yeah, I think I would have liked to know how difficult it was going to be. Um, it was slightly more difficult for me because I didn't have a period for three and a half years because I had an eating disorder. So yeah. I was um, struggling with anorexia and bulimia and I lost too much body fat and your body needs fat cells to carry estrogen, which is the hormone, you know, which is a crucial hormone in your in your cycle. And I went to see an endocrinologist because I didn't have a period and I had done all, she just did so many tests on me, like did I have a tumour on my pituitary gland? Did Were my bloods okay? All this kind of stuff and I was fine. And eventually she said to me, you need to gain weight to get your period back. Are you willing to do that? And I said no. And I said no and then I met her again six months later. Was this when you were trying for a baby? No, no, no. I wasn't trying. I just okay. wanted my period because okay, I knew okay. that this yeah, is yeah, not. Yeah. And, and I was starting to get osteopenia, which is the start of osteoporosis. Basically, my bone density was decreasing. And, you know, this is an issue for a lot of women, particularly if you're on the pill, because you might not know that you're not getting a period. So there's a lot of women at the moment who are exercising super hard or maybe doing, you know, very high intensity training and they won't know that their period is missing because they have a bleed every month from the pill. So um, anyway, eventually she said to me, are you willing to gain? It was it was September the 11th. My grandmother died that morning and I had this appointment and I kept it. And she said, are you willing to gain weight to get your period back? And I said, "Okay, fine. Yeah. So she gave me this book called No Period, Now What? And I started following that. And it was, you know, it's a really good book if you're having that issue. But you kind of have to follow it and and eat what they tell you to eat. And and, and eventually my period came back on a train to Athenry. And I was so excited. (laughs) I just texted loads of my friends that blood emoji. And they were like, what's happening? Celebration. I'm on the period train. So that was January. And then, um, but then, so because I have an eating disorder... My brain was like, oh, your period is back because you've gained weight. And then and then I'd restrict again. So then it wouldn't come back in February. And then it would. And then I'd cop myself on and then it would come back in March. And, you know, so it was irregular. And then we got pregnant by accident. Um, not, not yes, by accident. Like it yeah. wasn't planned. But yeah. We got pregnant in August and we weren't married. We were just engaged. And it was like, OK, well, this is it, this. Is, I thought it was going to be a difficult thing, but sure. I looked at a boy and now I'm pregnant. Yeah, they were right. And they were right. And um, yeah, and then that was kind of difficult. I had a bit of bleeding during that pregnancy, but I, I went, um, I had a really lovely consultant, Siobhan Corcoran was her name, and she would check me all the time and there was bleeding, but there, there wasn't, you know, she was like, this is fine. It's, I don't know what it is, but it's, you know, the pregnancy is fine. And then I, we did a scan at 11 weeks and there was lots of fluid around the baby. And um, she was like, look, this isn't what we want to see. And we're going to have to do some genetic testing. And we were on the way to do a harmony test, you know, where they yeah. could. But she said the harmony test is not appropriate now because we know that there's something. So we're going to have to do some more invasive tests. So they did a CVS, which is going to put a needle into your stomach to take some fluid out of the baby to see their genetic makeup. And... Um, that all takes a few weeks. So then I was 12 weeks, 13 weeks. We got the results back. There was a chromosomal issue. 
And then, you know, we're trying to wait to see, is this a fatal abnormality or is this something that like the baby will be sick, but they'll be fine and they'll live. And then uh, and then I, I miscarried around 15, 16 weeks um, on Halloween night. And um, oh, Steph. yeah, it was really, really tough. I remember messaging you at the time. Yeah. And it was just I, I was just and then I kind of became obsessed with getting pregnant again because I really felt like my body still thought I was pregnant, kind of like I was still doing pregnancy tests to get that HCG sure. hormone down. And I just became obsessed with it. And then we had four more miscarriages. And at that point, it just became. Was that over the space of a year nearly? Yeah. So we had another one then in January. Then I had a I was then I got to two months pregnant. It was eight weeks. So I had another miscarriage I needed to have a DNC for that. Then we had another had another one on our honeymoon. I was pregnant at our wedding. Uh, we had a miscarriage on the honeymoon in Portugal. That was horrendous. And then um, we did two rounds of IVF. Neither of those worked. As in, they didn't impl- they took the eggs out of me. Sure, but, but you didn't of, get to transfer. Yeah, we didn't get to transfer. And then we went to it was Christmas twenty twenty one, and we went to Abu Dhabi between Christmas and New Year. And I was like. Fuck this year. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for cursing. Curse like, away. What a horrendous yeah. year. Um, I was like, I'll, I'll deal with it. We'll deal with it next year when we come back. I don't know what's going to happen. We were looking into egg donation. Mm-hmm. And then I get this very particular headache when I'm pregnant. Um, it's always the first sign. And so I've been pregnant six times. I know it. And I was in London working. Um, and I woke up one morning and I had that headache. And I was like, this is weird. And uh, it was just like two weeks after New Year's, you know. And I was like, oh God. And so I went to King's Cross Station and I bought a pregnancy test. And I um, I did it in a Premier Inn. I love it. <laughs> in King's Cross. I have the whole scene in my head. I, know, I was about to say I know that Premier Inn. That sounds really dodgy. But I know that area. Yeah. And <laughs> it was positive and I was just so terrified. Like, That's what I was going to ask you. Is no, it an excitement when you no, do, when you've been through that? Is that just you're into fear? You're just into like, how long is this one going to last? How much is this going to distress me? Like, am I going to have to... Because in the first pregnancy, I had to deliver that miscarriage. Like, I had to labour. Because, you know, 16 weeks is... is sure. a, it's, a, it's a significant size. Oh, my God. Um, so there's no joy. No, it's just... I think once you've had a miscarriage, that naivety of, like, pregnancy test leads to baby is gone. And so you're just like, what is this journey going to be like? And then... It was like that every single, like every single week. It was like, okay, now, now what's going to happen? Now what's going to happen? I just didn't believe. Like, would you, would you, were you able to forget or was, did no, it consume? It consumed me and I was helped to tolerate it by the mental health team in the hospital. Yeah. Um, but like I didn't have a bag. My waters broke during the Queen's funeral. They're like very high moments. <laughs> yeah. It was like during the Queen's funeral. Yeah, I was sitting on my couch watching the Queen's funeral. I'm big into... I'm not big into the royals, but I'm big into that sort of pomp and ceremony. So uh, we, I was on the couch and my waters broke and um, just a little bit. Like I thought from from media that your waters breaking is like this big gush. I thought it only happened in Richard Curtis movies. Yeah, it will. I was like, that's not real life. <laughs> so it was actually only like an egg cup of water. Okay. You know? So I was like, did I pee myself? Yeah, what yeah. happened here? Yeah, yeah. And then... I didn't ring the doctor and she rang me the next day and she was like, how are you getting on? And I was like, yeah, I think my water's broke. (laughs) This was a different consultant because we changed consultants because my first one went on maternity leave, ironically. And then we were with Jenny Walsh and I love her. Like if I could marry her. Oh, oh, I just... marry everyone in the National 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 Hospital. Hospital. Yeah, oh, they're just so nice. Um, How many weeks were you when you... Sorry, when you're... 38 and 3. Okay. 
So 38 weeks and three. And I told her, and she was like, Stephanie, you've been such a hypochondriac for this whole pregnancy. Like, Jenny, I have a rash. Jenny, I have a headache. And the one time I actually need you to tell me that something has happened, you don't. And I think I was like in a little bit of denial. And she was like, come on in bring your bags and I was like I don't have a bag packed she was like you are 38 and a half weeks pregnant why I, don't you have I a bag packed with that person and I didn't I didn't want I, I was just I, I asked my sister-in-law to pack a bag for baby but I couldn't buy anything yeah I didn't want to put a car seat I in know. I just didn't believe I was coming home sure. with a baby so I went in anyway and then I end, I was in labour for 12 hours but then I ended up having to have an emergency c-section and uh, then Noel had to run my husband had to run out to get baby rose for baby because we had nothing that would fit her. I can understand that. Did they say in in there that there's quite a lot of women who have who have had miscarriages before that don't get organised because you don't you can't yeah. go there yet? It's a safety mechanism sure. for your brain, so your brain won't let you go to the place that um, where you can imagine that you will have a live yeah. baby. And you know, so so Jenny said to me like, just pack a bag as if you were coming in for an appendectomy. You know, appendectomy. Yeah. Just you have to come to hospital. And and we live close enough to the hospital that yeah. Noel could go yeah. and get my stuff. Um, but it was just too much of a leap for me to pack this big hospital bag yeah. for baby. And, you know, so it just seemed like really overwhelming. So I just packed, you know, a nighty and a book and I read my book while I was in labour. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Jenny came in and she, you could hear the kind of clip clop, clip clop because yeah, she yeah. wears like these yeah. stilettos down the... It's like this really like, glamorous, yeah, beautiful woman. not a nurse. I know the doctors yeah. come in and it's says like, hi. And the midwife said to me, I've seen her deliver babies in those stilettos. Yeah. Like, what an I've amazing heard that quite a lot. Yeah. And she comes in and this waft of Chanel Mademoiselle comes in behind her and she was like, I don't think I've ever seen someone in labour reading a book. And I was on oxytocin, like I was on, um, I was induced. So they were very furious um, contractions, but I have... I'm autistic, so I have a different pain threshold to other people. And it wasn't until that that I realised it, because the midwives are like, you must have really bad periods if you think that these contractions are the same as your period. Oh my gosh. As I said, this is what it's like all the time. What? So I didn't have an epidural for six hours. And then at six hours, I got an epidural and it didn't work. And at that point, I was like, oh my God, I was bawling, crying, eating my fist. And then everyone else could see like, oh, wow, she must really be in pain because she's got a really... She's put the book down. Yeah. So then I got another epidural and that did work. Um, And then it's like another six hours and Jenny, the very glamorous doctor, came in in her scrubs and her runners. And I knew that meant... (laughs) I knew that that meant we were going for a C-section. Also going, why are she delivering my... Oh, the section. Okay. It was surgery time. It was surgery time. Oh, gosh. And that, as a surprise, did you even bring that in or was that like a part of your, this could happen or had you even gone there? She had asked me, like, what are your birth preferences? And I was like, my preferences are that... I pay you yeah. and you do your job to the best of your ability. And we because, all leave here. And yeah. we all leave here happy and well because this like this baby has been here kind of growing for three years, you know, yeah, so like yeah. just do your job. Yeah. And she was kind of delighted with that. Now, as an autistic person, I have some sensory needs that I had to, you know, like so we had to. Yeah. So when did you when did your diagnosis with autism? Was that a couple of years before that you were trying or just no, it was actually pregnant? in the middle of it. So when you we pregnant. lost the first pregnancy okay. and it was actually in processing that grief that the psychologist, so the, a psychologist that I was seeing said to me, you know, I wasn't really, ups- I wasn't, my emotions maybe don't read like a neurotypical person. So someone who isn't autistic. And so I wasn't grieving in a way that was overt or that people could see. It was more like I was obsessed with the data and I became obsessed with getting pregnant and learning everything about conception and hormones and how they interact and what happened to the baby and 
you know, and, and, and so while I was trying to process this in therapy, he said, like, I think you, you know, you might be autistic and would you consider being assessed? And that was the second time someone had suggested it to me because my GP had suggested a few years earlier. Yeah. But because I can make eye contact and because I'm terrible at maths, I was like, I'm definitely not autistic because you have to be good at maths and you have to be, you know, not able to make eye contact, which is bullshit. But um, it's just because that's how the media has portrayed yeah. autism. It's just like Rain Man. Again, you know? not r- hugely discussed. No, not discussed. I think more now. Yeah. Um. So that autism diagnosis made it a lot easier for the subsequent pregnancies um, to be supported in the way that I needed to and during the labour which is you know because being pregnant is such a sensory experience sure and um, you know I was I was kind of nervous about breastfeeding as well because I didn't know how that sort of sensation would manage so we breastfed for five months definitely the hardest thing I've ever done that's a um, long time. It's a long time. Well done. Yeah. Especially if you didn't know how you, you know, going into it, how you would feel about it. Yeah. I didn't have a full supply. I have a thing called IGT, again, probably because of the eating disorder, um, insufficient glandular tissue. So we come, I inclusively breastfed. So she also had um, yeah. formula. So when you say that you, when you got your diagnosis that you are, arti- are artistic, um, not artistic, you are also I artistic. I am artistic and autistic. autistic. How did that, when you said that you had a plan of going into hospital and they helped you with it, that's amazing that it was somebody in that hospital who had I kind of seen it from the outset and said maybe... No, it wasn't. It was actually a psychologist from outside the hospital okay. that I had been seeing. Okay. And um, But then I started seeing a psychologist inside the hospital yeah. when I was pregnant. And she, and is that somebody who, to do with the, with the, your losses or to do with... No. So there's a bereavement team yeah. and a perinatal mental health team. So okay. the bereavement team deal with the losses. Uh-huh. And then if you've had more than three... There's um, a recurrent miscarriage clinic. Yeah. That's not a mental health support, but it is. It means that you can get more regular scans yeah. and some investigations. So I was in there and had been seeing the bereavement team. But then for the pregnancy, I was seeing the psychologist from the perinatal mental health team. So that would probably have been happening anyway because I have an eating disorder. Yeah. And um, they were really supportive and able to... Like, There's no studies really on autistic pregnant women most autism resources and studies are done on autistic children. That's the thing. I say it's all children. It's all children. Like when you Google pregnant autistic, it's really disgusting because it's mainly about things to do while you're pregnant to avoid your child being autistic, which one is impossible and two is really offensive. Oh my gosh. So she really helped me to tolerate the uncertainty of pregnancy and the sensory. Jeff, I'm so happy that that service was there. Oh my God. I, I, didn't, know, I didn't know that was. They're okay. still seeing me. They see you for up to a year postpartum. Um, if that's clinically indicated, if you need it. Now I also see the psychiatrist in there because I found motherhood, which we'll get to, but I found motherhood really, really difficult. Yeah. But I can even think when you go into those hospitals and they're noisy and they're hot and there's gel on your stomach and there's all of those things. So did they help when you were pregnant with this as the sensory stuff of yes. noise and, and touch? Yeah. And, and, and basically it's different for every autistic person, which makes it hard for the midwives and doctors to help. If there was just one blanket rule, then they could do it. But every person is different. But for me, if there's a noise. Yeah. If there's a noise on in the background and you're talking to me, my brain, because it's autistic, doesn't know which of those is more important. And so I can't, I, I, I can't tell which to focus on. Okay. So if there's a noise beeping in the background of in a hospital machine and you are telling me that baby is fine or I'm having a miscarriage, I, my brain can't focus on one of those things. And, and how so does that feel in the moment? Does that make you, does, is that distressing or is it just that you can't concentrate on either? Have you ever been driving and 
the radio is on and you don't know where you are so you turn down the radio yeah. to find the street that you need to go yes, to. Yes, yes, yes. It's like that yeah. except you can't turn it down. Like my brain can't, there's too much happening Yeah. and it, my brain literally is like I, I don't know what way to turn here I don't know what to focus on So, but I can't so I needed to turn down the radio so that I could find the road to go on and so all of those machines in the hospital have volume settings so they can turn them down and they and also like if you're going to touch me, just let me know beforehand and just less people in the room just because it needs to be a little bit calm. Again, it's more noise and sensory overload. And then so they were really when they when we knew that we needed to have a section, Jenny, my consultant was saying like, look, this is it's going to we've had it really quiet now, yeah. but it's going to get really busy. And it's going to be kind of panicky, but this isn't, it's an emergency C-section because it's not planned, Mm -hmm. but there's no emergency here. And there's going to be like 17 people because there's going to be a team for baby and a team for you. And there's going to be lots of people asking you questions. So we'll just do it as slowly as we can. So she was really helpful. um, And, you know, if I didn't know that I was autistic, I wouldn't have been able to access those supports. And there are lots of women who don't know they're autistic or maybe lots of people who aren't autistic but would benefit from that sort of slower pace anyway. Sure. So that's why we kind of argue for universal accommodations. But that's kind of a, that's something for another podcast. That's a lot of change in the space of your life to ha- get a diagnosis, which I'm sure has, has it been a huge help in your life. Yeah, it's it's been a huge help. It's made sense of a lot of things to me. And um, it's sort of like, when I was when I was 26 I was out for dinner with my nana and I was squinting at the menu and she was like you're squinting at that menu and I was like oh yeah it's just very small print and she was like you shouldn't be squinting next time I go into Margaret Barrett that's her optician I'm going to bring you in and you get your eyes tested and I went into Margaret Barrett and she was like do you drive? and I was like I do yeah and she was like it's very dangerous that you drive because your eyesight is terrible and you need oh, no. glasses <laughs> so I got glasses at the age of 26 and I remember walking out of the shop when she rang me to pick them up and there was a big tree across the road and I was like, oh my God, you can see the individual leaves on a tree. I did not know that that is what you were supposed to be able to do. I thought a tree was just like... Big, greenish. Yeah, greenish, you know. Went home and looked at the floors and was like, oh my God, this place is filthy. <laughs> um, and just didn't know that things could be much better because I didn't know that I needed the support and it's the same with the autism Yeah, I didn't know I was autistic but I knew that I was struggling I knew I was squinting at menus you know metaphorically Yeah, but now that I know I can get the supports that I need I know that I can ask hey can you turn down that machine when you're talking to me because then my life's going to be so much easier and I'll be able to listen to what you're saying yeah and you know, particularly in friendships, I, 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 I make friends very easily, but I find it hard to keep friends. Yeah. And now that people know that I'm autistic, I can say like, look, I might say something yeah. wrong or it might be too upfront or inappropriate. Can you just tell me in the moment and like give me a little bit of grace? And that has like really changed my relationships. And would p- someone say it to you? How do you feel if somebody do- does say it to you? Are you can you be receptive to Absolutely, that? Absolutely, yeah. What? That's like, a, that's a, that's amazing yeah. that you've got that you're able to, I guess, navigate your day to day easier because, as you said, you can you got you can see clear yeah. with what it is. But I also know to ask. So, for example, perfect example today, my friend messaged me. She's delivering a thesis, and she said, "Could you?" She knows that I have strong language skills and that I'm a good writer. And she asked me, "Could I read her thesis before she sends it in?" Twenty thousand words. I know, right? <laughs> uh, read her thesis before a good she friend. sends it in. You are so yeah. that I can give her some feedback and this for me now that I know I'm autistic is like red flags everywhere so before I do that I say to her sure 
what kind of feedback do you want? Do you want me to be a cheerleader and like tell you this is great no matter what? Do you want honest an honest appraisal of this? Or do you want just like some spelling and grammar notes? Because autistic people, okay, this is a generalisation, but me as an autistic person, I value honesty over politeness. Yeah. But non-autistic people tend to value politeness over honesty. Okay. And so I have to adjust yeah. sometimes what I'm or, or kind of read between the lines of what I'm being asked because uh, because my my brain kind of works differently. Yeah. Like I remember when we were doing Can Cope, Won't Cope, the producer of that one time told me that my notes on the scri- on, on the edits were too officious. They were too cold. And it was because she was asking me for my notes and I was sending back my notes, but yeah. I wasn't doing, my brain wouldn't necessarily think of doing the kind of compliment sandwich like this is great and this is great. Yeah, yeah. We're looking for what's yeah. wrong here and yeah. here is what's wrong. But, you know, when you're in a creative industry, yeah. that can be soul destroying to someone who's been editing it or who's directed it sure. or who's acting in it. Sure. But there's a lot to be said for being like that going, what do you need from me? Do yes. You, I love that. Do you want me to be your cheerleader? Do you want the honesty? Like one friendship that I think probably would have ended if I hadn't known where she's kind of a head in the sand person. And she if something is wrong, she wants to just kind of like not talk about it. Whereas I... I don't really do small talk so yeah. like if if you're having a problem in your relationship say you're having a problem in your relationship with Brian and you tell me about it next time I meet I'm going to be like how's that issue with Brian going is he still doing this are you still doing this you know And but if you're someone who wants to be head in the sand you don't want to be reminded the next time you see me that you were once having an issue with Brian and so I just think that's really considerate just to ask again but I guess some people are like it doesn't exist anymore can't, I can't discuss it say, say I don't know like in this example say Say Brian cheated Poor on like Brian. something. It's also you know. <laughs> I was but, getting dragged into this. Sorry, Brian. Um, <laughs> Me joking. Remember that autograph? I remember I showed you that I met Brian like oh, yeah. when I was like sixteen, <laughs> yeah. and he wrote "Love Brian" at the end of it because that was his thing at the time. You guys were always meant for each. We other. were meant for each other. Um, <laughs> love, anyway, love, love, Brian. love forever. <laughs> love you always, Stephanie. <laughs> Brian O'Driscoll. Um, so. Yeah, so she just said to me, look, the way that you navigate problems and the way that I navigate problems are different and we we need to overcome that in our friendship. So either don't I don't want to be reminded of things that have gone sure. wrong okay. or asked about issues in my life. So And now you know that now way I know. about her. Yeah. Hi, I'm Mary. I'm Daniel. Siobhan. Guess yes, where I, I like to shop? Bet it's Aldi. I just like how much I can get from my money. You can feed the family for great value at Aldi. And I like the specially selected range. Like Ireland's first ever Diamond Taste Award winner. Specially selected dry-aged Black Angus ribeye steak. It's quality. So if you like great value and award-winning Irish steaks, it's got to be Aldi. Ireland's most reputable supermarket. Did your diagnosis come as a relief? But I'm just thinking at a time when you were pregnant because that was a, and you were nervous about being pregnant. That's a lot of things going on at the same, at the same time. Yes. Yeah. In a life. Time. And also it's COVID, right? So my miscarriages were happening on my own. Noel was in the car. He had to come in. Like it was, it was a lot. Do you look back and go, I am deadly? No. Do you not? No. I suppose I should. I think you should. I just remember all of the things that have gone wrong. But I, but obviously you're you still have the trauma and the grief attached to losses and at a time in COVID as well when you didn't get support and everyone was away from each other. I don't really think about those things too much now. I just worry all the time that I'm destroying my child. <laughs> so talk to me about that. Do you, you do you feel that or is that a, is that? I don't love being a mother. Yeah, 
Because is that an awful thing to say? It's not an awful thing to say. I think because I, I think I'm an amazing dad. Like if I'm measured by the standards that men are measured at, yeah. I'm doing amazing. But women are held to a different standard sure. and I don't know that I'm measuring up to those standards. The in, child, what, in what way? What do you think you're... you're I sti- so because I still haven't been able to be on my own with the baby. She's, n- she's going to be eight months on the 20th of this month. And so again, it's a sensory thing. So she's she's very cute. She's like finding her voice at the moment and she's found this little screech, which is absolutely adorable. You're like, but, can I please dial that down? But so when she does that, yeah. I can't I can't think of anything else. Okay. And my brain is quite rigid in its thinking, so I assume okay, so she yesterday she slept um for a half an hour at nine thirty and then for two hours at one o'clock. That's what's gonna happen today, so I'll plan my day around that. And I'm someone who needs a plan for their mm-hmm. day. Not just I like it, I need it. Yeah. And if she wakes up at a different time, I, my I can't readjust my plan. It's not that I won't. I, I literally am like, OK, she's woken up. What what needs to happen? Like, do I feed her? What happens has to happen yeah. now? And I can't do those things. So it's not safe for me to be on my own with her. So I have someone with me all the time. Sometimes it's my mom. Sometimes it's an old sister-in-law. Sometimes it's just a friend to be to be my executive functioning brain. Yeah. In a moment where I can't be. Yeah. Um, and I find that really difficult, you know. But that's at a tricky stage when they, this stuff does change very, like yeah. every phase feels small. They grow out of that and then they're just either, yeah, so you know. Yes, I hear. I'm hoping that will school, change. Yeah. You know, whereas the, every bit is like, then the food, the feeding thing changes. But that does settle. But So when I look at that, what are you setting your standards for? Is it from what you genuinely feel or you just go, this is what other people are doing? So that's what you're comparing, what you think your standard of being a mum is? Well, you see, I don't really know. I find that there are experts in every field and I try to just like attach myself to one of them. So there's so much information out li- online, you know, mm. about what to do. So like with the f- with the weaning thing, for example, like I was really scared of that because I've got a lot of sensory issues around food mm-hmm. and I don't want... So I've got autistic issues around food and then eating disorder issues around food, neither of which I want to pass on necessarily to my daughter. So I was like, okay, I definitely need help with this. So... I started Googling, which is like the worst thing you can do because every person in the world seems to have their own baby weaning book and their own way of doing it and their own recipes. So and that can be commercialised as well. It is so commercialised for sure. So you kind of have to nearly distance yourself and go, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not very discerning in those ways. So I went to, I did this masterclass with weaning.ie and I was like, okay, I'm just going to like a limpet, attach myself to this woman. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm this just is gonna, the answer. This is the I'm going to do things her way. She's yeah. a registered dietitian in Temple Street. She knows what she's doing. I'm just going to do it this way. Vegetable led weaning, and we're we're going for it. I'm not. I'm and and her way just seemed really straightforward to mm-hmm. me. Like make a list of the foods that you eat. Like if you eat a normal kind of balanced diet, which I do, make a list of the foods that you like. And you know the aim is that she's going to be eating the same foods as you. So there's no point in her developing a taste for portobello mushrooms and avocado if you aren't if those things are never going to be in the house. You know. So we're doing. You know, I think on that I've done really well. And, you know, every mealtime so far has been a happy one. There's been no stress. She's eating. She's self-feeding. I'm not spoon-feeding her. It's great. That is great. But that's just because I did this weaning masterclass and learned. I was like, OK, I'm doing it this way. And I see other mums, like we do this water baby swimming thing, which I love. And uh, I see other mums and they're just kind of finding their way with it. You know, they're like, yeah, she's going to nap and she wants. She's going to do this. And I'm like, I can't. But not everybody is like that, Steph. No, I know. And often I think people kind of show how much they 
want to show. I don't think that, you know, listen, more power to them if that is the way they do. But I, I think a lot of people aren't like that. And, and a lot of people are scared. Yeah. I think terrified. a lot of people are, are terrified. And I think that there's so much pressure because we have science now that says, you know, it's more nurture than nature, which I'm not sure that it is. Because, for example, you have three children and you have parented them all. Yeah. And I would are, are like, are they all different? Of course. Yeah. But even in your own family, I know that you're. An I'm an child. only child, which kind of. Yeah. You've, so you're. Yeah. My myself and my brothers are so different. Yeah. And we had all the same, same circumstances. And yeah. And that that imagine we were all, you know, robots in that way. That would be also really disconcerting. Yeah. So there are, there are, there has to be it has to be a little blend of both. But I just think if you feel loved and supported, you can look at all the detail in between. If I had become a first time parent during COVID, after having had losses and then discovering a lot about myself, I think you coming on the other side of that, I think you should be really proud of getting through all of that. That's not, not a lot of people have a have their first experience of motherhood that way. Mm -hmm. And that is dealing with a lot. And, you know, I, I think for the most part, all I hear from my friends who have had kids is that most people, you know, listen, you can have easier phases where it feels easier but for the most part it was a scramble it was a scramble and but I, I, I what I feel now is oh, I've got three friends at the moment who are pregnant yeah. due in the next number of weeks yeah. and I have this feeling in my chest of like oh god oh god for like, them for them this feeling of oh my god something terrible is they have no idea that something terrible is about to happen <laughs> but when I was pregnant people were like oh my god it's so exciting enjoy the newborn cuddles like I hated the newborn phase there's a lot of pressure on that of the you know the enjoy every second that's impossible I was they, were, they grow up so fast I was like looking at her going grow up grow up really <laughs> faster, fast faster faster faster, faster. Yeah. I cannot get out of this phase quickly enough and now she's now it's much easier right yeah. because she's on the sweet spot where she can sit but she can't yet crawl yeah so oh yeah it's, it's a I nice I remember those days it's a nice phase <laughs> but it is and it will it, it, it'll change but I think and I and listen I can only speak for for myself in this it, that it all kind of blurs in a nice way and I don't know if that's good or bad or if you're if your brain wants that to blur a little bit or that if you need to know the next phase, because we were talking about this a little bit as well, that we don't know a lot going in. OK, but would you have been more scared if you did know what no, you know? I think I need I think I would have preferred to know. And I have people because I talk about this on Instagram a lot and I, and I support other mothers who feel kind of alone. And, you know, mm. like I cried into my dinner every evening for about five weeks just because I knew another night was ahead and I didn't know how I was going to do it and the breastfeeding and this and all the worries and a woman messaged me she was like you're scaring mothers off having children <laughs> and I was like one if you're going to make your decision on having a child based on somebody's Instagram account you don't you shouldn't yeah. be having children yeah. and two I think knowing at least in those moments where you're crying into your dinner or your you know your child's head is a receptacle for your tears is at least you know I'm not alone this passes and this is normal this is maybe it's not normal but it's common that at least there's that because I thought oh my god everyone else loves this phase they just have newborn snuggles all day long and they go for a long walk. there's definitely people who love the newborn phase fair but but I don't think that is everyone. No. I, I think those people are like, I, I love when they're toddlers. I love when they're this. I think the newborn, I was never somebody who looked at other people's newborns and wanted to smell them. No, I look at other people's newborns and I'm like, I'm so sorry you're going through you're this so right now. You're so tired. You're so... I know how tired you are. And listen, of course, it's it's like that... Um, Maybe I wouldn't the second time. It's love time. and fear. Love and fear mixed together, which is exhausting. It yeah. is exhausting. But I feel like you this is going to be... the second a time around. 
But I see, like, when you say the second time around, like, my stomach is like... Well, she's only eight months. At least give yourself... Then don't even take that out of the equation. And when you're talking about the way your brain works and your personality, if you need schedule and need to know what every day is going to be, putting a baby in that is... Yeah, it's chaos. And I know that... that upside down. And it will get a little bit... Like, even now, she's getting a little bit more predictable. Sure. I know when her naps are going to be. Yeah. I generally know how long they're going to last. You throw teeth into that. That's kind of stirring everything up. I wish those teeth would have just come. But... Some um, babies' teeth easier as well. That's I guess it is the unknown. That is hard. Yeah. That's hard. But one of the positives, I think, is that I see her as like this person whose teeth are going to come when they want. Whereas other people, I think, see their children as a reflection on them. And so when something goes wrong with their child or something or their child isn't what they expected, they feel a sense of disappointment or there's too much pressure on the child to be what their parent wants. Whereas I really have a sense of like, she's just the person she's going to be. And I can't wait to see like what that is. Um, But already that's just been such a great mum. That's just love. Yeah, that's just love and all the hard bits of of the of not knowing. And listen, you're not on your own and going into a night going, I don't know, like when they're going to wake that fear of just going like closing your eyes, going not knowing when the comes like that is. And don't underestimate how tiring that is. And I think like tiredness affects so much of your Mm -hmm. your overview of something. But isn't it mad that like the woman's life changes so much and the men like continue to go out and win bread you know they they get to leave and do their jobs and I know it's different for you because you're self like same as me that we try to work our jobs around it but I just have I was never a feminist <laughs> or never at least related to the sort of resentment I feel now that we've been sold a lie and that women can't have it all and that I'm trying to work like I don't have a child and trying to have a child like I don't have a job mm. and my husband is great but he goes to work and he gets to like be out of like just focus on work and Mm. I would love you know sitting here with you having an adult conversation is like such a joy yeah yeah but she's still only very little you might be able to schedule that time uh, the the longer it goes on she's still so so small she's so small but then it's about then we're into childcare issues yeah like I can't get her a crash place until February at the earliest and in February it's only two days a week she'll be one and a half and, and I've offered my kidneys to places. People don't really want kidneys that we're much. good for kidneys. Yeah, they have their but own. But if you, listen, there's always other options if you kind of Are do Are you free avenues. for babysitting is my question. <laughs> oh no, no, I'm just out of that baby phase. I will help, I will do dig outs. Okay. Okay, that, but that's all I'm offering. Um, do you crave the, because you're so creative and you're so, you, you're so good at writing, do you get a lot of satisfaction from writing? Or at the moment you find it hard to find the space for it? I find it hard to find the space to write about anything that isn't mm-hmm. what's happening in my head at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I write a weekly column for the Sunday Independent. And you have to be careful when you have an audience like that, right? You can't write about something that's totally outside your field. So I'm not going to certainly start writing about the economy, right? Yeah. Be, but I don't want to be too self-centred. So it's about trying to find what is happening to me and how is that a reflection on what is happening to other women um, and that takes a lot of mental load you know it's an 800 word column every week but there's a lot of work that goes into that to yeah. try and find out what's happening sure um, and I'm trying to squeeze that in during her naps yeah. and that is a little bit stressful 
I yeah, that is so hard. Because and then if the nap goes awry, I know that's my job. Like. I know, I know, no, that uh, that is so difficult. And to have the headspace and not, I I I I know all that, but that does get easier. It does get easier. But I think it's lovely to have to create that community where you're just like, there's nobody wants to feel like they're the only one who is finding it a complete shift in their life to factor in work, to factor in family, mm-hmm. to factor in themselves as a different person, as a, as a mum. Yeah. I think just discussion is good. And listen, people kind of identify with a bit of it, maybe not all of it, some of it, or retrospectively go, that was me, that was me. And I, no, I didn't have words for it. I thought that I was the only one. So I think w- with all that, even when we go back to talking about, about the IVF, I remember reading, and only about two years ago, a post that Amy Schumer had written about egg collection. And after, even after having my kids, I didn't realise that the numbers, that, that the cha- your cha- with the chances and the prospects and the outcome oh, yeah. of that. I just assumed, like you were saying, that like oh, you just look at a guy and you get pregnant. I assumed if somebody could afford to do IVF that they could have a baby. No. So you the IVF, so you have a level which is called your I know now, anti-malarian hormone, yeah. which is AMH, and mine is low. So that means that I have the fertility of an older woman. And so my AMH is around two. And that means that they would expect in an IVF cycle to only get like two eggs. So we did IVF, we got nine eggs on day one. They rang, they ring on day two and tell you how many had fertilised, seven. Did you think nine was good? I thought nine was amazing yeah. for my... And, and so did they. I, I, I didn't know. Yeah. Like but, Amy but, Schumer said we got 28. I was like, that's amazing. She's like, so fingers crossed. I was like, I don't understand. Yeah, so 28 could then go to... So like we got seven. Then on day three, there was only three. And then then on day five, there was none. And And, and so what IVF does is... Every month your body produces an egg. Well, a number of eggs come forward and compete to be the one. Mm-hmm. And then the one is released. Sometimes it's two. And so in an IVF cycle, you're basically pushing your body to do several months of that all at once. So yeah. that you could collect one egg every period Cramming if you wanted. Cramming for the leaving cert. Yeah. Um, and, but, but that's for someone who has proper fertility. Some people might have no fallopian tubes but their eggs are perfect so they would need IVF because the egg can't travel into the womb without the fallopian tube so if you've had an ectopic pregnancy or any other reason you might have had to have your tubes removed and then there are women who have lower fertility rates so they don't have any eggs or they may have had cancer treatment and you know so there's a number of reasons but my I know that my fertility is the problem so Noel sperm is fine there's an awful lot of pressure on that as well when you're the mm-hmm. woman um, and so we were looking at egg donation and if we ever were to have another child I still have the fertility issues that I have so my issue is I am hyper fertile so you and I might both try to get pregnant with our spouses for a year and you will get pregnant let's say on the ninth month I will get pregnant every single month oh my god and have a miscarriage because my body doesn't filter out the egg that shouldn't be fertilised because it has a chromosomal issue whereas your body will so your sperm and you, the, the sperm and the egg will meet and your body will go um, no there's an issue here and your period will come and it won't fertilise whereas mine will and it'll go down the line too far until I have a miscarriage and so that was 16 weeks or 8 weeks or I had a number of 5 week miscarriages so when we think about like I was I'm an only child and it was quite lonely and so I don't particularly want Rory to be an only child but I don't know that I have it in me to take those odds again and do another you know if my odds are one live birth to six pregnancies I don't know if I have another five miscarriages in me Have you through talking to the people that you have been talking to in the in the National Maternity Hospital do you feel that you have come to a place where you can 
I mean, do you ever get over grief? Not really. Like that that that, that year that the the losses. Yeah, that hit me when you said that you on the Mother's Day that you're like, I have I have been a mum. Yeah, I have been a mother. Yes, yeah. Before she was here. Yeah. Before Rory was here. Like I have two because then they ask you what you want to do with the remains, which is something that you're never. I was not prepared for even the second time after the DNC because they can't just put in a bin like you know they so they bury them. So I have two. I mean, babies, if you want to say that, but I have, there are two pregnancies that I lost that are in Glasnevin Cemetery in the Holy Angels plot. That's weird. Like PJ Gallagher's mother died and she's buried in Glasnevin and I went to that funeral and I walked past the plot and I was like, it is bizarre that I have two babies in there. Like, you know, if you want to look at it, I mean, we could get into all, we could talk all day about when a baby is a baby and when it is a fetus. Um, So I think I do get over it. I... Um, I am, you know, I think about it a lot um, and I'm also aware that there are people on this journey who don't get the happy ending oh, know, because I not know. everyone gets the baby yeah. and that a lot of people talk about these things retrospectively only when they get the happy ending. Sure. And uh, yeah, so that kind of plays on my mind. So when you, I, I know that you'd spoken about it, that when you, you know, people are going to find out you have a baby, you yeah. know. Do you, were you very conscious of of how you said that because you would know how other people mm-hmm. looking as you said that you became you were looking at all of you became obsessed looking at who you know who was pregnant how to get pregnant so that it was on your algorithm as well yeah I wasn't obsessed with who was pregnant I was trying to avoid those things okay. but I remember like while I was trying Sheila Shoiger got pregnant and you know her.ie or extra or all those gossip they all do push I notifications know. and she did be a good friend of mine so I was obviously really happy for her but it's dong and then there was a couple of other people you had Ted, you know, there was a couple of people who had babies in the time that I was trying and it just wounded me so much and me and my best friend were pregnant at the same time and then I lost my first pregnancy and she went on to have her baby and Rue was like, you know, two and a half now and um, because you and I were actually pregnant at the same time and, you know, those things play on my mind and it's, it's sort of like... I don't want to be that trigger for someone else who's going through that journey. And so when I announced the pregnancy, I didn't announce the pregnancy. I just announced that Rory was born because yeah. I didn't want to have a public miscarriage, to be honest. Yeah. And so I um, I just put up a trigger warning saying, you know, like this is a pregnancy and tr- pregnancy loss post. And if you don't want to read it, um, swipe or unfollow me and that's totally fine and I totally get that because I had to unfollow people as well because it's just too hard to see um, You have to look after yourself yeah. that is that's the most important thing yeah. in, in all of it But there's an assumption that like a, a baby announcement is always good news I and know, it's not for I know. some people it's really hard And it is it's interesting that the uh, when you want to have a baby well that's all I could see was ever you know when it, you're yeah. thinking of it, and it's like life gives you a natural algorithm you know you know, Did you find just, it easy to have your children or did you have a struggle? I did the older two and then my last not so much I was older Yeah. so I was like what? That's when I learned so much mm-hmm. because I was like hang on a second I didn't have to think about it mm-hmm. Um, so that was different and then I just felt like the entire world was pregnant yeah um, so it is it, like the mo- I think the more people discuss that and the more that we're able to be open and honest and supportive and sometimes I can get why people will dip out when they need to and yeah. close that off and then I understand why people dive in and go I need to know everything and it's different for it's different for everyone but I do feel for and I know people who are still you know on that journey and that's that is not easy especially in 
a society or in a world where it does look easy or, or we're told from the get-go that A, it's easy to do it. It's an easy transition. It's all grand and, you know, the, the love will get you through more more so now it's the reality of like that's not the same journey for everyone and I'll, I'll finish on this I do think that you can have a totally happy fulfilled life child free sure I do think that whatever you choose or whatever is chosen for you there's always going to be a little bit of regret for the one that you don't have yeah. so I definitely have a, a bit of a sadness for the freedom that I had and the life that I had with Noel when we were like really playful and carefree and could just pick up and go yeah. somewhere Um. Um, but I'm happy, obviously, that we have a baby yeah. and that we have our family. But I do think there's always there's a kind of a media um, bias towards motherhood and having children that I think is maybe not considered and, and is certainly not the right path for everybody. Yeah. And I do think that you can have a, a very, very wholesome life child free. Absolutely. If you were to pass on three of your superpowers to Rory, what do you hope that she'll be like and what, what, what do you hope she's going to be like from your other half? Oh yeah, I think about this a lot because I do get you? a lot of people asking me what if she's autistic? You do know? you? Yeah. In a kind of like oh and I'm like well what if she's not? Like I think I'll be able to manage much better if she is yeah. than if she isn't. Um, and some of the best people I know are autistic and I don't mean that to sound like autis- autism is a superpower because it definitely is disabling to live in a world where autism is the minority um, and I know that other people have co-occurring intellectual disabilities and it can be really, really tough to parent. But I hope that she... She better get your wit. She better get my brains. wit. Yeah, because if she's not witty, she's not going to last be able a to minute. I won't. <laughs> like, I can't talk to you. I can't talk to you. Um, I hope that she gets my husband's uh, social ability because okay. I don't have... I don't really like, you know, s- socialising. And sure. I hope that she does. Okay. hope that she makes friends easier yeah. than I do or keeps friends easier than I do. It's so weird when you have a child. Like, I just hope that the world... I know they won't love her as much as I do, but like, she's just so precious and so perfect. And like, you're thinking about like sending her into a crest. And you're like, will you please just yes. love her as much as I do just for a few hours? Like, because she's so precious. And I really hope that she's not... I mean, at the moment with her personality, I think she would be more of a bully than someone who is bullied. And I hope that she softens on that and that she is kind in the world um, yeah but I hope she keeps the curiosity that she has now just if she was a curious uh, kind and um, you know social person that I love that about curiosity and kindness I think they are a, a curiosity about the world I never want to lose that um, so writing wise I, I are you going to write more TV? Yeah, I am. You have I'm, to write more TV. You're so good at it. I've been You're writing. You're good at writing. Thank you. I've been writing a TV show since 2018. Yeah. 2018, since before I met Noel. And it is brilliant. And it is I have no doubt. very close. It is It is at the moment in commission and now there is a writer's strike and I'm not allowed to write because I'm not allowed to cross the picket because I'm in the writer's guild. And have you written the whole series? I've written two episodes. Yeah. It's an adaptation of some books Yeah. that I haven't written. So I've written two episodes and a story outline and we're just, we were just at the point where we were like going into production. We were going to start casting. You were going to get a phone call. Um, come on guys, clear this up quick. Clear this, clear this up quick. So yes, I am writing more television but before that I am writing a new play. Oh my gosh! Yeah, which is commissioned by Cork. Because that's how you started. Yeah, and it's going to be on in Cork Opera House which is a huge stage and it's a one woman show and I'm in it and it's called Help, I'm at a party and I'm so excited about it. Will you come? 
I am there front row. Can yeah. you be front row? Yeah, the front row isn't a great It's not seat. great, actually. No. I don't want to be front row. Oh, no. We'll give you a box. <laughs> give me, like, middle aisle. Okay, middle like, aisle. Like, like an M aisle. Yes. <laughs> and I will be there. Okay, perfect. Stephanie, I cannot wait to see it. Yeah. And I cannot wait to see all you do. And it is it is just so brilliant to see you. And I, I think you're amazing. Thank you. And I think you need to give yourself a pat on the back. Oh, I'm patting myself on the back Physically patting on the back. And, um, and you'll babysit for me. I said dig, dig outs. Out. I need a lot of dig outs every week. It has to be a crisis. Can moment. I dig? Can you dig out on a Tuesday morning between ten and three? I've had people, like friends, not people, random people. Um, I remember David O'Doherty is a friend of mine when I was doing a voiceover. When I was like, when I when I was at your stage, I probably yeah. had my first baby, an eight month old, and I was like, what do I do in this scenario? He was like, I'll walk her up and down the canal in the buggy. That I'll be that person. And where were you? I'll be David O'Darry. I was in doing a voiceover. Okay, you didn't mention that. Bit. <laughs> so I was yeah walking. No, so I will be that person. Is Sadie up for babysitting person. yet? What age is Sadie nah, now? Nah, she's too young. What age is she? She's only ten. I know. It's in the post. Back in my day, we <laughs> listen. <laughs> she'd have a family railed at that she stage. Would. Also, pro- I should say we do use mummy and nappies. There so, you go. Yeah, we shop at Aldi. <laughs> she said it. Yeah, we do. There's a new Aldi that opened up in, well, we're moving house now, but a new Aldi opened up yesterday and my husband is from Mayo and he is obsessed with like, he's one of these people who puts his hand behind his back to read the planning permission when we walk past things. <laughs> and he has been watching this Aldi be built. And yesterday it was open for the first time oh. and he went in and he texted me and he was like, I'm at the Aldi. It's impressively spacious. Oh. So if you want to go to the new Aldi, it's impressively spacious and it's in Hamilton Gardens in is that go- Is that where you're going to move to? No, we're going to be leaving oh. it. Yeah. I'm sad for you. Yeah. There'll be another Aldi near you. Well, there better be. There will be. Because we're paying top price for this house. <laughs> Come on. And I need my nappies. I need, yeah, the kitchen tiles, I need the bathroom tiles, I need my Aldi there so I can go and buy my nappies. Thank you so much to Stephanie Preisner for taking the time to come and chat with us, which has been our season ender for season two of Mamiya and Me. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all your emails and comments and for listening along the way. And we will talk to you soon. You can get in touch or find out more at aldi.ie forward slash Mamiya. from Aldi. We've topped the leaderboard at the National Parenting Product Awards with 22 wins, making us the most awarded retailer. There were goals for our organic Mamiya baby food range, Mamiya Ultra Dry Junior Plus Nappy Size 5 Plus, and Mamiya Premium Newborn Mini Size 2 Nappies voted the nation's best nappies by parents in Ireland. So, mum and dad, not using Mamiya nappies yet? Oof, could be time for a change. Aldi, every day amazing.